Chanakote. Um, welcome to the 2023 New Zealand International Science Festival. My name's Helen Nicholson and I'm a member of the festival board. And our vision for the festival is to create an event that inspires and engages the community with science. Science, as you know, impacts so many aspects of our daily lives and it's the source of so many opportunities to improve the way we live. It goes without saying then that the engaging the community with science and ensuring that there are plenty of avenues for communicating important scientific messages is paramount to our social well-being. That's what we hope to provide, a fun, accessible and engaging festival all about science. So it's now my pleasure to introduce you to our moderator for this evening, uh, Katerina Ruckstall. So Associate Professor Katerina Ruckstall is the Kai Tohu Tohu of the Otago Business Schools Timaya, Māori and Indigenous Economy and Enterprise Network. She leads a number of research projects, including in the Science for Technology Innovation National Science Challenge, or SIFTI, um, where she's the Vision Maturanga Deputy Leader of the Challenge and co-leads the Building New Zealand's Innovation Portfolio. She's also the Associate Director Māori on the Dodds-Walls Centre of Research Excellence, and her broader research expertise is on innovation and Māori business, resource extraction, energy transition and Māori policy. Norera tēnākoto, tēnākoto, tēnētātou katoa. Kia ora everybody, nā mihi kia koutou katoa, kua raurika mai e tēne uh, ahiahi pō, nō mai haere mai tauti mai. Uh, tuatahi ki nga tini aitoa kua wehe ki te pō, i tēnei wā o matereki, haere, haere, haere atu rā, moe mai, moe mai, oki oki mai rā, ki nga mana whenua, uh, nga runaka uh, e roa o tēne uh, rohi, uh, ko o tākou mei kā te huirapa nga runaka, uh, I raro e i uh, rawa manakitanga e noho ana uh, mātou i tēnei pō uh, kia, kia koutou, uh, nga manuhiri, me nga rangatira uh, o te, tēnei pō, nau mai hari mai, kia koutou, uh, nga kai whakarongo, uh, nga mihi. So kia ora everybody, welcome to this evening's panel and it's a great honour and a privilege to be the moderator for the evening. So, Vision Mātauranga has become an integral part of the National Science Challenges, which has resulted in a wealth of kaupapa-based research and examples of tetiriti-based partnership and engagement. So tonight, our discussion is going to centre on kaitiakitanga and what that means in practice in a National Science Challenge. So, the 11 government-funded national science challenges established in 2014 are cross-disciplinary, mission-led programs designed to tackle New Zealand's biggest science-based challenges. So these include health, food, environmental resilience, the built environment, climate change and science and technology. As they enter their final year of funding, we have representatives of some of these science challenges to discuss some of the impactful research that has come out of these initiatives and how it has been applied across Aotearoa for the benefit of all. So the word kaitiakitanga itself is probably best known in environmental contexts. 
The word is from Proto-Eastern Polynesian, and it's a combination of kai, which is the agent or person who guards or waits for something, tiaki. Often kaitiakitanga is in relation to natural resources. However, it also covers responsibilities in relation to artefacts, buildings, and social relations. Kaitiaki need not be people either. Supernatural beings such as tipua and animals such as owls might also act as kaitiaki. According to academic professor Merita Kafuru, kaitiakitanga is a socio-environmental ethic and is primarily concerned with social relations. The customary framework for giving relevance to kaitiakitanga, according to Kafuru, is whakapapa. She further asserts that kaitiakitanga cannot be understood without regard to understanding mana, mauri, tapu, rahui, manaki and tuku. So, to speak on these or indeed any other matters as they apply to their national science challenges, we have here today Linda Faulkner who represents Sustainable Seas, uh, Tumai Cassidy, New Zealand's Biological Heritage, James Bergen, Building Better Towns, Homes and Cities, Jonathan Proctor, Resilience to Nature's Challenges, and last but certainly not least, uh, Silai Letica, who unfortunately um, had to fill in at, well actually fortunately, had to <laughs> fill in at the very last moment for a colleague. So she's here, she's had 24 hours to, to get her thoughts together, but she's here uh, representing our land and water. So please give everybody a big round of applause. So I'm briefly going to tell, tell you how the evening will run. So each speaker will have five minutes to introduce themselves and their particular topic of choice, and I've told them that will be very strict on the time, so five minutes it is. And then after the five-minute talks, we'll carry on into some moderated discussion, and I'll ask them a few questions, and then we'll end with a few questions um, and answers with you, the audience. So first off is Linda Faulkner from Sustainable Seas and she's going to talk about realising the potential of kaitiakitanga leadership. So Linda, who is of Ngāti, Rangi and Whanganui um, descent, is mana hautu for Sustainable Seas. Uh, Linda comes from a science, Māori policy, resource and environmental management background and she's worked for an and a number of research institutions and government agencies. Linda considers herself a generalist, so not an expert in anything, she says, but rather enjoys creating spaces for experts to do what they do best. And at some point, Linda's going to tell us one really interesting fact about herself as well. She says she's got nothing interesting. Well, that in itself is interesting. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll get everybody to um, introduce themselves. And starting from now, Linda's going to now tell us a little bit about what she's going to talk about, National Science Challenges, Sustainable Seas. Over to you, Linda. Um, <coughs> I ka uh te me ikwe kwa me ia, uh kia kwe tiranga tira katarina, um 
Laira te mai e, te mai e atu ki a koe a urinoa ki a koutou katoa. Um, Ari ko te ngākau, ko a tatu mai nei wanganui a koutou, nō reira tēnei anō te mai e atu. So, um, thank you for the welcome, um, and you, I really don't have anything in, uh, fun fact about myself. Um, <clears throat> so, as uh, mentioned, I'm going to talk a little bit, hopefully within five minutes, about realising the potential of kaitiakitanga leadership, and I am reading off some notes, so this fight, squeezing things into five minutes is quite challenging. So, um, in the global search for information and solutions to address the decline in environmental, social, social, human health and economy, nations, governments, researchers, communities and industries continue to look not only to science, but to indigenous knowledge for answers. And our focus in sustainable seas, um, being the moana, or the oceans, we identified very early on, of course, that mātauranga Māori, Māori knowledge, and particularly kaitiakitanga, would need to be prominent in our research and approach. When developing our research strategy in the early years of the challenge, we recognised that much is now documented, known and practised from a kaitiaki perspective on land and increasingly in fresh water, but not so much in relation to the moana. So we were very grateful early in the challenge, at the beginning of the challenge, to work with a team of researchers actually from here in Dunedin, at the University of Otago, who undertook some foundational work for us in that realm. Anne-Marie Jackson, Ngahuia, Mita and Hauiti Hakopa uh, undertook an exploration of the journals of the Polynesian Voyaging Society, a range of prominent books, um, the archives of the Hokan and Alexander Turnbull libraries, and they searched through ancient karakia or incantations, pūrāko stories, waiata, songs, whakatauki, proverbs and pepeha, tribal sayings, to document just a snapshot of what pre-European activity and approaches in the marine environment look like. Their research told us a great deal, and research undertaken since then by iwi, hapu, whānau and Māori organisations around the country have continued to contribute to our understanding of kaitiakitanga in the marine environment. There are many aspects and perspectives on kaitiakitanga, but what's been clear from our projects, and you've talked about some of them in your introduction, but what became clear in, in lots of our projects is that at its simplest, kaitiakitanga is essentially the practice and management of well-being, or modi. Further, that kaitiakitanga is a product of whakapapa and whanaungatanga, which you refer to, which is to say it's an intergenerational obligation arising by virtue of kin relationships. So it's a relational, it has a relational underpinning. <coughs> kaitiakitanga emerges from a distinctly Māori worldview, and its existence is reliant on a whole range of very culturally specific requirements and opportunities, and that's really important to understand. It's those requirements and opportunities that connect mana atua, our spiritual realm, to mana tangata, the human realm, to mana whenua and mana moana, the environmental realms. We have available over there some kaitaki cards which came out of the work that um, Anne-Marie Jackson and others did uh, for us early in the challenge on the table that talk a lot more about what those requirements are for the fulfilment and practice of kaitiakitanga. <clears throat> Through a series of research projects that followed that work, it became really obvious to us that effective kaitiakitanga, if applied with integrity inherent in its nature and context, 
must be led and guided by iwi hapu whānau and Māori organisations, particularly given the re reclamation, restoration and revitalisation of that knowledge and practice is still actually in its infancy. At our recent Sustainable Seas Conference, to Hoi Rangatira, Taina Boisadeen shared some of her insights around the need for the reclamation of kaitaki literacy, being the need to be avid and hungry readers of the vast library that is our land and seascapes. She talked about the importance of the whakapapa connection and whanaungatanga relationships and responsibilities to the practice of kaitakitanga. Essentially, at the heart of what she was saying was it's not until you understand the thing that you have responsibility for that you can actually fulfil those responsibilities. At that same conference, Native Hawaiian researcher Palika Andrade noted that kaitakitanga is as relevant and necessary today as it has been through the generations. Although our environment and, and climate is forever changing, her view is that we don't need to see what our ancestors saw, but instead we need to see how they saw to continue to maintain our relational connection to our taiao, to our environment, and to fulfil our responsibility as kaitaki. Our research has shown there's significant benefit to be gained from the collaboration and equity of bringing knowledges together. And for us in Sustainable Seas, the potential alignment and harmony between kaitakitanga and things, for example, such as ecosystem-based management and blue economy approaches. However, collaboration and equity needs to be founded in partnership, but also the recognition that occasionally it's okay to do things separately and in parallel, and sometimes we just need to get out of the way. In closing, I'm reminded of the saying, those of you who have travelled on Air New Zealand lately, like most of us have today, will have heard in the safety briefing the saying that goes, we don't inherit this world from our ancestors, but merely borrow it from our grandchildren. Joe Hadawita's beautiful storytelling voice. It's my firm belief, after observing decades of work in the reclamation, restoration and revitalisation of Māori knowledge and the practice of kaitakitanga, that it could hold the key to making us much better debtors in the future than we have been to date. Kia ora. Kia ora, Linda. Thank you very much. I'm now going to call on Tumai, uh, who is from New Zealand's Biological Heritage. So Tumai is of uh, Naitahu, Te Atiawa and Ngāpui descent and he is a trustee on the Tanohuaka or Tukiawa or Sinclair Wetlands Trust which is a 315 hectare privately owned which is it came back to Naitahu wetland and, um, and an important bird habitat and it's protected under a QET open space covenant. So at Tanohuaka or Tukuyawa, there has been a revival and intergenerational transfer of knowledge and customary practices in restoring an ecosystem that was and will continue to be an important Naitahu Mahikikai or food gathering place. So uh, Tumai has just uh, travelled four and a half hours, not by plane, but by car from um, the Christchurch area. So he's um, a young person who's been... Uh, going to talk about the health of tuna or eels um, at Nohoaka or Tukuyawa. So, um, kia ora, tūmai. Kia ora, tūtaha ki ra, tēnē rā ka mihi atu, ki a koe te hākui, o ti rā ki te pai, me ngā kai kōrero mo te pōnei, 
to the point. All right, so we're going to stick with a bit of a um, rangatahi or, or youth theme here. So um, James Bergen, who is from Building Better Towns, Homes and Cities, and his um, five minutes is going to be about Kaupapakainga, which is co-housing and youth housing. So James is from Te Rarawa and Te Aupauri, and he's a senior lecturer at Te Hiranga Waka Victoria University of Wellington School of Architecture. Uh, he's a researcher with the Building Better Homes, Towns and Cities National Science Challenge, and he does have a random fact. He once did a science fair project about chewing gum at school <laughs> and didn't know it at the time, but that triggered an interest in research ever since. So there we are, all those parents who've been helping their children with their science fair projects, it does pay off, and James is an example. So kia ora, James. Uh, kia ora koutou, uh, ngā mahi nui kia koutou, uh, iti pōnei. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that fact as well, and I, I've, I think I've suppressed the memory, but I also did a project before the chewing gum one, and it wasn't good enough to kind of leave the classroom. <laughs> And so I kind of got put off science for a year and then came back with a chewing gum and then I was away. I was away. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm a product of the Building Better Homes, Towns and Cities National Science Challenge. Um, it took me probably three years to stop calling it um, Better Homes and Gardens. Um, it was a bit of a tricky acronym, but um, yeah, so this is my seventh year as part of the challenge. Um, I did my PhD through through the National Science Challenge and then have continued on in this um, recent tranche um, of, of the funding. Um, so my background is originally as a surveyor. Um, I spent a few years uh, working in Waikato, um, making some quite rich developers even richer, um, and got to the point where that wasn't quite sitting well with, um, with me as a person, um, and, and came back to, to start my PhD and study, to start thinking about different ways of um, building whare, building kainga, um, up to, to the city scale. Um, so that in surveying urban planning, urban design has, has kind of come at it from a particular worldview for a long time. And we're thinking about whakapapa and, and whanaungatanga and relationships um, with each other, with, with the whare, with um, culture, with this, this challenge is really trying to think about how we might be able to do that, that kind of stuff differently. Um, so yeah, the, a couple of the key words there, um, the projects that I've specifically been involved in are around um, kaupapakainga, so um, you might have heard of papakainga, uh, kind of collective um, housing based on, on Māori values, um, but that often has that... Um, I guess foundation that it's on ancestral whenua and if we think about the proportion of Māori that are um, living away from their homes, um, is there a way we can create a version of papakainga that I'm trying to call kaupapakainga based on kaupapa, so based on Māori tanga, based on values that may not necessarily um, be embedded in the whenua quite the same way but can we, um, can we create housing that, that's a little bit more aligned with um, some Māori values. Um, as part of that, yeah, I was lucky to be involved in a, a small project on rangatahia housing, um, so working with um, a couple of groups of rangatahia across the country, talking about um, rangatahia housing experiences and aspirations for the future, and again trying to feed that into what 
what a kainga or what a village could look like going into the future. Um, but then I just had a couple of photos. So these are probably the most recent project that I'm um, involved in through the National Science Challenge. Um, and this was one photo that really kind of summed it up to me. Um, this was the research output for this project. Um, and it's an exhibition. Um, so the um, community researcher, um, Kathleen Morrison, she carved these po and, um, and made these um, five atua sticks um, and, and placed them on the whenua. And then we um, held a big kind of community day to invite everyone to the whenua um, and, and open, um, I guess, and exhibit the, these po. And um, to me, this was, this was a big kind of nice point to get to in, in my journey, I guess, um, in, in the research space. And you might be thinking, what has this got to do with housing? Um, so this originally started as a, as a wetlands project, um, a wetlands restoration, and it's all about housing the non-human descendants of the Atua, because we need to get that in place first. And now we're moving on to, okay, how can we house the people amongst that? Um, so this was, yeah, just a, a small project, but um, it's really cool to see that, that kind of evolution from when I first started in the challenge. Yeah. Kia ora. Kia ora, James. Thank you. Okay, so we're now going to hear from Jonathan Proctor, and he's going to talk about Maturanga Māori volcanic hazards and building resilience in Māori communities. Um, and this is going to be a little bit about a case study with Ngāti Rangi Kaitiaki, who looked to Maungaurua Pehu as their koro. Okay, so uh, John Proctor, who is more uh, upoko, Ngāti Apa and Naitahu, is a Professor of Natural Hazards and Director of Volcanic Risk Solutions and Associate Dean Māori at Massey University. So he's the lead of the Volcanology Programme and part of the Maturanga Māori Research Programme um, in the Resilience National Science Challenge. And here's a not-so-interesting fact. He tells us it's not-so-interesting. We forgot to take food on a trip to a volcano in Vanuatu, Vanuatu, um, Vanuatu and ended up eating marmite on palm tree wood for a couple of days. Okay. Interesting dietary choice. <laughs> Kia ora, John. Over to you. Kia ora, Kato. Uh, it seems my... Um introduction there is a little bit different from my talk, so obviously I'm unprepared as I was walking up a volcano in Vanuatu. Um, so just like any other academic, I've got a few slides to show. Um, and this is not uh, Ruapu, this is Taranaki actually. Uh, and it's really just a quick introduction about uh, me and my uh, experience through working in the resilience challenges, I suppose. Um, I started off as a volcanologist. I come from the Hori Whenua. Um, it's probably the geological most boring place you could ever be. So I was drawn to the volcanoes that always erupt and explode and much more exciting. But our volcanoes in New Zealand, uh, they all look like this. For the last uh, probably 10 years they've been pretty boring, done nothing. Uh, it's pretty hard to keep funders excited about volcanology when we've had no volcanic eruptions. Just earthquakes, floods and uh, other things. But our volcanoes from time to time end up looking like this. So Taranaki. Uh, has done this uh, about 14 times in the last 100,000 years. And so part of our job as researchers around volcanology and the Resilience Program is developing tools to understand these processes, uh, developing tools to forecast when these may happen, and provide those forecasting tools to communities and, and build simulations around the impacts from these uh, scenarios. So 
But uh, one thing we have realised is that uh, Māori have occupied these areas for a much longer time than we have. They've experienced a lot more of these events than we have, and they have a much uh, greater sort of in-depth knowledge of uh, responding to and recovering from these events, but also understanding uh, the impacts of these events and, 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 for us, the physics of these events as well, which is really exciting to input into the simulation tools. And so that sort of experience has guided us in all programmes in our Resilience Challenge. So this is a, a, a bit of a propaganda from the Resilience Challenge. These are the research programmes that we have. Um, and each programme has, uh, we're split into sort of understanding natural hazards and then uh, implementing tools across society as well. And each programme has a specific Mātauranga Māori approach uh, within their research programme as well. Uh, trying to inform better solutions as well. And then we have, uh, we've realised the need to have a specific Mātauranga Māori programme as well, uh, where we develop new knowledge alongside Mātauranga Māori. And so uh, some of the learnings I suppose we take from this is that research is about building the foundations to make fundamental change in society, so research is not quick. Uh, we're looking to make a significant change, uh, bring new ways of understanding uh, natural hazards, but not so much trying to understand the last event, but prepare New Zealand for the next event. Um, Māori researchers create new knowledge along, alongside creating new mātauranga Māori as well, so we contribute to new solutions, new tools, as well as trying to enhance mātauranga Māori alongside iwi, hapu and whānau that we work with as well. Um, one thing we've realised, the power of mātauranga Māori is that it's really uh, strong at a local level. It's really good at providing high-resolution local solutions and uh, empowering communities to make change themselves as well. And so this is that third point. We can explore local knowledge, local solutions of Mataranga Iwi and, and Hapu to provide solutions, examine how robust it is to transfer new solutions as well. Um, and sort of the last point there is that Māori research, coming back to the first one, is about building that long-term view that will initiate change across New Zealand. And, and, a, and another powerful uh, aspect of Indigenous knowledge and Mātauranga Māori is that it seems to be more robust over time. The knowledge is transferred more robustly and coherently uh, through the generations than we see with some science topics. And I suppose Otago uh, is a classic example. We fire a few academic departments and we lose capacity and knowledge around those topics completely. And then it takes generations to build those up again. Whereas in Mātauranga Māori we see that as being well, they have more robust practices around retaining that knowledge and creating new knowledge. It's me, thanks. Kira John, I, I hear an element of controversy coming into that, that discussion, so we might want to, um, you know, tease that out a little bit more. You know, is Mahiranga Māori more robust? Um, However, before we get into that, I'd like to now welcome um, Salai. So thank you, Salai, for coming at very short notice to speak with us tonight. Um, now, I'm not exactly certain what her topic's going to be, but she, had, so she, but she has had 24 hours to think about it. So hopefully she will be able to tell us that herself. So um, Salai is Ngāpui Ngāti Parau um, in Tangata Pacifica, and she is the Kai Arataki, or has been, um, for Our Land and Water, and she's Tumuaki Director of Orangaho uh, Māori Environmental Science Research. She's also the uh, co-chair of the Rauika Māngau, which is a Māori organisation that advances Mātauranga Māori and accelerates research and positively influences science policy. Um, she has a background in environmental 
um, science and she's had quite a lot of roles in business and relationship uh, management between Māori agribusiness and Crown Research Institution. And she also does a combination of Māori and social research and farm systems. And at the moment she's now looking at climate change, so uh, very versatile in terms of um, her career. So, so I thank you so much for being able to come at very short notice. Over to you. Kia ora tātou, um, uh, he mahi tua tai, uh, Katerina, tēnā koe. <laughs> um, uh, engari, uh, o tira, uh, uh, tēnei te mahi ki ngā kaikorero uh, i tēnei pō. Um, kia ora, I'm Salai. Um, yeah, uh, late ringin, but nonetheless really stoked to be here. Um, so I just thought it would, um, after listening to all of the speakers tonight, I think where I want to go in my time is to just kind of drop a few thoughts maybe about how the system, that being the NSC system, but also I've been in a few systems, science systems in my, in my time, about the types of settings that help um, turn on and enable some of the things that some of these speakers have touched on. So. Um, Linda talked about a really beautiful um, concept there about um, not worrying so much about um, what our tipuna saw, uh, but um, thinking about how they saw and thinking about that from a big systems perspective, you know, the types of settings that might enable um, whānau, hapu, iwi on the ground to get, give to get that space and the resourcing that is required for those groups to go deep. Um, so that's something that we grapple with and think a lot about in our land and water. Um, and then to my, you spoke a lot about that enable that focus not only on um, making helping a wetland and a mahigakai to become abundant and well again, but also about addressing. Um, the reconnection of people to that place and actually um, that recognition that that place probably can't be well until the people are reconnected and that um, intergenerational transfer of knowledge and obligation of kaitiakitanga um, can be reenacted, reconnected, you know, set on fire again basically. And so again for me and this kind of kaupapa and assuming we've got researchers and uh, community group people, environmental people here about thinking about how do how does our system and how does our role help um, enable those groups and those people that whakapapa to those areas turn on those taps again, you know, make that system well and rebalance again through the addition um, of uh, another knowledge system that actually has been born off that place and that experience. And then we had um, James talking about um, something I picked up from James was about the outputs, the types of outputs, and having to translate and that justification of the types of outputs that might come out of Matauranga, Kaupapa Māori based research, and what they may look like and how they may be valued within a science system. So, so um, it's about. Um, from a science perspective, what are valid outputs for iwi hapu whānau 
and how are they enabling iwi hapo those kaitiaki, to do that reconnection, to re-embed their knowledge and to grow the next generation of knowledge going forward. So those outputs don't necessarily have to um, be about creating manuscripts that aren't typically um, going to be accessible to Fano, who want to live and dwell and use and reconnect with these places. So it's a, you know, there's a complementarity there because there are always, of course, technical aspects that can um, help help those causes bumble along as well. And then John, John talked a lot about um, the the um, this 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 matauranga and how. Um, Actually, there are some really robust practices out there, and it's about again for me talking, thinking really specifically about how our systems within from science can turn those taps on and off, and and really share power and decision making um, with um, those people that hold knowledge in place. So yeah, just really coming back to to really tangible things within your grip that you can. Um, help to enable all of these really good examples tonight. Kia ora. Kia ora, thank you, Sally. So our, our panel has been very well behaved. Um, so everybody's kept to their time or, or slightly, slightly under. So we've got a little bit of time for discussion now. And I, I guess some of us have been um, listening to the news or reading the news. And, but there is a new science cu curriculum. Um, and it... Um, and some people are a little bit disturbed by what's in it, but other people are very excited. So I'm just wondering, um, in terms of um, where we're thinking around uh, this topic of kaitiakitanga and science more generally, and all of, it, all of you are quite, quite experienced in the science realm in one, one way or the other. What, and, you know, being able to grasp these concepts such as kaitiakitanga or maturanga Māori, um, for all of you, I guess, um, would be very straightforward, or maybe not. So maybe you want to tell us about um, your experience of how you've been interpreting it or actioning, actioning it within your National Science Challenge. And I'm, I'm going to start last, first. So that would be you, Salai, because you gave us a lovely um, <laughs> summary. But I'm just wondering, um, in your National Science Challenge, which is our land and water, you know, what actually does it look like when you are practising kaitiakitanga? And, and there's two parts to that, I guess. There's um, from a science system point of view, but then what does it look like for those people who are on the ground actually doing something? Whether that's a researcher or a community or, or anybody else, a regional council, um, a policy maker, what, what does it look like in your experience? Thanks, Katarina. <laughs> okay, so um, in our science challenge, um, practicing kaitiakitanga means a lot about giving the resource and the decision making power over to those on the ground, the knowledge holders and the experts on the ground and enabling them to go deep. Um, tangible ex um, sort of examples of that, um, you know, I can think of a few of our um, Kaupapa Māori led uh, projects um, where, you know, these people, these whānau and hapu and iwi groups actually are going out and doing practice 
in place on the whenua and re-invoking um, and, you know, using a lot of the people talked about manuscripts and, you know, using a lot of that, re-invoking and reconnecting to a lot of that old knowledge to reinterpret the landscape that they, so in an agribusiness context, a farm, to reinterpret the farm in the way that their ancestors would have seen and experienced that, that whenua. And then it's about um, taking those steps from that beginning place and that reconnection to bringing that into a contemporary farm or productive system or landscape um, uh, example or case study pilot, and uh, understanding what they can and what what they can and can't use, what's what's a deal breaker and what's not. You know whether it's something as simple in an agribusiness context as fencing an area, or not fencing an area actually, as um, I was lucky enough to go on one of the Wānanga and actually they found that the, the stock actually helped manage the, keep the grass and the weeds down off the tuahu, which are some sacred sites. So it's, it's really, at the system level, giving them the resource and the power to go deep and then on the ground practicing that reconnection and finding trusting ourselves to find how we make that relevant now okay um yeah john thanks that's a really tough question thanks for giving me some time to think about it uh so as i said you know we we each each strand of our research program um, has a Mataranga Māori component or Mataranga Iwi component. And I suppose our research program overall is structured very much along the lines of we have fundamental research, we have applied research, we have social science research. And in every one of those aspects there's a different sort of draw upon Māori communities uh, and Iwi for uh, support, information, development together, working in partnership I suppose. And if we took the the, the fundamental aspects for my experiences working on volcanoes, I would say one of our large thrusts around volcanology is, is developing forecast tools. And so we'd work with Matakiti and Tohunga to, to understand traditional forecasting tools, to understand indicators in the environment that may be giving us clues about whether a volcanic system may be changing. And so we've had plenty of examples over the last uh, 10 years or so of unrest in our volcanology, volcanological systems. We have traditional scientific sensors which are out there monitoring the environment, telling us how those systems are behaving, but we're also getting information from iwi about how their environment's changing and responding to that volcanic system as well, which, which, which we take seriously and try and build into our decision-making going forward. In the applied aspect, or the applied science aspects, uh, just like Salai said, we work with uh, Tangata Tiaki on the ground, we work with the tile teams on the ground, to support them with new tools, new technology, new solutions to, to, to achieve the things they want to achieve. So again, for me, working around a volcanology area will provide new sensors, new monitoring techniques, uh, new remote sensing techniques that they may want to apply and build into their own decision-making processes. I suppose in the social science aspect, uh, where we draw upon Māori and work with Māori uh, at, at a very granular level is at the marae and hapu and whānau level where we try and involve marae in decision-making processes around emergency management, around resilience, around the CDM processes as well. 
So we've developed a whole lot of techniques around Marae becoming hubs for emergencies and we start to see those implemented now every time we've had an emergency is actually Marae the only places which are functional which can support our communities when they're going through their immediate response and recovery as well. So a lot of our research is about building Marae resilience but also changing attitudes within CDM and emergency management on the role and the leadership roles iwi and hapu can play in, in ensuring our communities are safe and survive these hazards and become more resilient. Um, I suppose I'll leave it there, thanks. Kia thank you John. Yes, our, our marae at Kati Huirapa is um, always getting called on to, to undertake particular types of activities, emergency management activities, so I guess we've seen it you know, very, very much this year. Um, and perhaps people didn't realise that the role of the marae, particularly in a rural community, is an absolute centre and a hub um, for the whole community, not just the Māori community. We've seen that several times when we've seen it also, I think, here down in the south and the, with the uh, Christchurch earthquakes and the Kaikoura earthquakes with marae really centred on kaitiaki responsibilities of, of whānau, the broader community, and obviously of that broader environment. Um, what were you going to say, James? I was going to say a tōtoko. Invite your comments. So in, in, in your particular national science challenges, uh, you know, how has kaitiakitanga been practised? Because I think we, you know, many of us here are, are interested in the theory and the background and the understandings. But what does it look like when you're? Can you poke a stick at it? You know, what 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 is it when you're doing kaitiakitanga? And maybe doing kaitiakitanga is the wrong way to describe it. But certainly, it's very practical aspects. Yeah, in the in that kind of urban sphere, I guess there's the the applied, the tangible um, elements where we're kind of taking a step back and and doing some blue skies thinking and, and thinking what does it mean to um, to be well housed on your whenua or what does it mean to be well homed on the whenua um, what does it mean to live amongst other people um, so again because the the work I've been involved in is heavily urban focused there's naturally that element that you're in close proximity to, to other people so how do you live um, in close proximity to other people, um, and yeah, kind of stripping it right back and thinking, then how can you embed values? How can you embed kaitiakitanga? How can you embed um, all sorts of different elements into the the ways then that we come in and design and, and build something um, that that goes along with it? So it's thinking differently about how we manage stormwater, um, for instance. In the past, we we'll, out of sight, out of mind is, is the approach. Chuck it in a pipe, it's a problem down, downstream and we've seen this year that that's, that's not a particularly um, great approach. So thinking about how, um, how can you re-daylight that water, how can you bring it back and, and, and it has all sorts, kind of returning to the, um, that kind of interconnected or holistic element before, there's all these other benefits from doing that. So daylighting water and, and using swales or um, your, your planted swales especially has stormwater um, cleaning benefits, has, slows, it, slows it down, all sorts of things but then there's whole lot of benefits, there's well-being benefits from being able to see and, and touch and interact with green spaces. Um, 
I don't know where I'm going with this, but <laughs> that's just one example, I guess, where I see kaitiaki tanga expressed in yeah, urban planning, especially. Yeah. Okay, so I guess what I, how I'm interpreting that is that um, by thinking about the concept and what it means in its more holistic sense, you can then maybe apply it uh, to a particular environment, such as a storm stormwater. And who doesn't want their stormwater to work? I think we all do. To my speaking of water and wetlands, um, you know, th and thinking about Mataranga Kaitahu, uh, Mataraka um, Otako, and then the wetland. How do those things work together with Kaitiakitanga? Yes, I think um, for us anyway, um, Kaitiakitanga is inseparable from the uh, concepts like Rangatiratanga uh, and Manakitanga as well. Um, Kaitiaki. It's not only just your responsibility to look after your environment for your people, for the environment itself, but for anyone who comes in contact with that environment. Uh, whether it be for good or for bad, you still have an obligation to look after the environment for everyone, um, and not just yourself. Um, and so, with an hour of my challenge anyway, um, what Kaitiakitanga has looked like um, for me has been um, just going in, into our spaces, going back into our spaces. Um, and for Kaitahu uh, in particular, um, uh, Rangatiratanga is, is heavily tied to um, being a Kaitiaki, and so it's having the Rangatiratanga to go and do your mahi under your own authority, um, not having to do things like ask for permission um, when it has been already recognised. Uh, by the highest powers in this country, um, you do have that authority and you can just go and do it. And so that's what we have done as a whānau. We have gone back to our um, our harvesting sites that our people have been separated from for a long time um, and building that connection but also bringing in the wider hapu, the wider whānau, uh, the wider tribe as well. And um, as we're building up our... Um, our, our research and our project um, actually um, bringing along our whānau with us and sharing our findings at that exact moment um, that we're finding those things as well. Um, and so for me that's what Kaitiakitanga um, was in my challenge looks like anyway. Um, and yeah, supporting um, what everyone else has said about um, yeah, how, they, how they view Kaitiakitanga within their challenge. Um, and I think it's it is more more every day. There's just more and more interest and demand for um, for kaitiaki tanga, and a lot of um, a lot of time our whānau, or especially our hapu, um, don't have the capacity um, to to keep up with the demand. And I think um, as much as uh, I guess the world wants to solve things very quickly, we also have to take it a bit um, slower and and think about it in a more in, uh, intergenerational approach instead of um, trying to pump out um, answers straight away. And yeah, it is complicated when you've got climate change and other things happening right now, um, but I guess, yeah, the view of a kaitiaki is, is, you know, generations. Kia ora. Um, Linda, 
you know, how is it? How do you practice kaitiakitanga? What does it What does it look like? Um, <clears throat> probably quite similarly to the other science challenges, I think, and I can think of it in two respects. One, um, enabling and empowering. So, I've, in terms of sustainable seas, at least, I think there's been a strong element of nurturing kaitiakitanga within the challenge approach and the challenge as a body of people. Um, and what I mean by that, and from an enabling perspective, is ensuring Māori leadership throughout the challenge at, at all levels and, and, as others have mentioned, and throughout the program, the research program, and making sure that complementarity and that collaboration between science and Mātauranga Māori. So I think kaitiakitanga from that perspective, and then empowering, so like um, my fellow panellists have mentioned, empowering kaitiaki on the ground to undertake research in their own rohe, in their own spaces, and it's just the coolest research. Um, it's the coolest thing seeing hapu and whānau and iwi and Māori businesses um, keep referring to the three R's, reclaiming, restoring and revitalising, but it is, it's been so amazing to see them reclaiming, restoring and revitalising knowledge and practice and seeing the innovation potential that comes from that um, and the solutions that do come from that. But then even on to, like you mentioned, to my around um, that generational approach and, and re positioning the way that we pass on knowledge and the way that we transmit knowledge from generation to generation. It's just been really cool to see research around the country that empowers kaitiaki on the ground to, to reconnect to their spaces and places and to do um, some really amazing, restorative, sustainable um, research. Well, that just sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Um, but I know that there are challenges. Um, so firstly, the National Science Challenges are finishing in a, in a year's time. Uh, so what happens next to all those kaitiaki, to the whānau, to the hapu, to the iwi? Uh, that's, always, that's always an issue, isn't it, when the project funding runs out. So one of the aspirations always has to be, have we built some resilience in all its senses um, with our communities, with our Māori communities? So I guess I'm, I'm going to just flip it a little because all of this sounds wonderful, but I know from each of you that there are always some issues. So can we talk about some of the issues that you see coming forward, and it may be project funding, but also what are the opportunities and where you think things might be going next because I think we talked about uh, the science sector as a system and Salai as the uh, co-chair of the Rauika Māngai, who I know is having lots of conversations with... Um, the science policy makers. I'm sure that she might want to tell us a little bit about what some things might be coming up based on the experiences of that we have here, a huge wealth of positive, positive experience, local solutions for local issues, but that can also solve some of our broader whole community issues. So um, who would like to take that question first? You know, there may be some issues. What are the issues? But what are the opportunities as well? So I'll, I'll open it to the panel. I might jump in. That's right, team. Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, it hasn't all, all been um, 
you know, beautiful. Um, the, but the, the wonderful thing about the National Science Challenges is because they are arm's length from the science system, they have been able to be really flexible and they've been able to write their own rules to a certain degree. And that's been very empowering um, because it means that we've been able to do things differently and tailor our approach to the needs of those that we serve, um, which has been really refreshing. Um, but it's been really hard. Um, for example, I came into the National Science Challenge thinking, oh wow, it would be easy just to contract an iwi to, to do their own research. Discovered that even, even in a National Science Challenge setting that is arm's length, actually that's not as easy as it sounds. Um, and so the journey of the challenges, I think, have learned a lot of really tough lessons and pushed some boundaries um, and created new boundaries. Um, and the greatest risk from my perspective and the greatest concern, given we wrap up in just in 12 months, is um, we've built up all of this momentum and all of this expectation um, and there's real risk that it won't continue and I think that would be a massive um, disappointment and we just wouldn't achieve the benefits I think that are you know, in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. But also the fact that the government has invested tens of millions of dollars in the National Science Challenges and so I'm concerned that um, the return on that investment will be limited by a lack of continuity and momentum. Okay. Anybody else like to take that question? What, what, what do you see are the risks, some of the dangers, but also what could be the opportunities? Yeah, so um, total for those comments about um, the experience or the, or the somewhat freedom to operate, somewhat. Uh, the National Science Challenges um, have been afforded and being mission-led um, got that permission to be, you know, really trying to get at that coalface, generate impact, um, all of that, and, and all of those types of things become really tiddity-led in a lot of, um, actually across all of the challenges now. Um, so there is, there, there are definitely good you know, good learnings, hard-fought learnings that we can take away from the challenges. You're absolutely right. Um, we do run the risk of um, throwing a lot of uh, really good content, good um, built knowledge now away in, in this, um, you know, what happens after the challenges. Uh, there's, there's a couple of things that I would say um, from a so from a systems perspective, and obviously in my role in the Rawika, um, going through Te Arapairangi, which is a science system review. For those that don't know, is happening now. Um, uh, um, we have a very very hard working Poputaiao, um, Willie John uh, Martin, who, um, with the support of a very experienced uh, lead, thought leadership team in Te Tira Whakahi Corps. Um, some really just, there's, I just say skucks as Māori leaders. Um, <laughs> that's science speak. Um, um, who are working really hard to um, generate funding streams that are basically are more accessible and um, are formed in such a way that they prioritise 
and basically appeal to Māori, uh, to iwi, to hapu, to, to Māori organisations that um, need to take, you know, uh, research discovery in their own direction. So there are those big um, settings up the top in terms of funding that's coming online. Um, still not enough, of course, and not happening quickly enough, but they're coming online. Um, the other thing that challenges, most of the challenges, um, and you know I don't know them all intimately, but certainly in my role, have we do lots of catch-ups, don't we, Linda? <laughs> um, and uh, a big factor that um, is very different about national science challenges compared to all my CRI gigs and the uni um, uh, gigs that I've been involved in is capacity building. So putting aside budget within the challenges and within the programs, but also the challenge mechanisms themselves to build Māori capability, to build capability within the communities, within the um, programs and kaupapa that you're working on, that these people actually can take this stuff on once we leave. So there's this, you know, there's all of these um, tricks and artful ways of actually, this is about enablement, right, and empowerment, and that's actually um, something that I think, particularly, I'll say, our land and water um, has worked really hard on, but I know a lot of the other challenges do it as well as um, recognising that, building that marae, um, base all of you know people in place building that capacity in so that actually, um, as uh, as funding streams become more amenable to uh, partnerships and funding uh, research that might not look entirely just like a bunch of lab geeks for want of better words um, that actually uh, there is a real diversity around knowledge in Aotearoa New Zealand that we are actually getting better up in those those big um, settings um, about recognising and, and funding their value. We're still not there. Let's, it's not um, rainbows and butterflies yet. But we are working hard, many of us are working hard um, to make that happen more. And, I, the, you know, these, these conversations are good because um, this really highlights, these people really highlight what is working. Kia ora. John. I'll have a crack and follow up from that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, I always try and look a bit more of the positives. I mean, everything comes to an end. Um, and uh, I think we just got to be proud of the fact of what we've done over the last two science challenges, really. And, and for me, the, the thing I'm most proud of are, are the PhD students, are the students, the capability that I've built, as Sylvia was saying. Um, and we have built that capacity in, in, within iwi as well. Uh, I've seen people come through our science challenges and gone on to roles as being the volcanologist in DOC. Uh, they've taken on senior emergency management roles in NEMA. They've taken on roles in local councils as Mātauranga Māori experts. And so we've seen uh, a, a very, I suppose, slow change within a lot of uh, established institutions in recognising Mātauranga Māori and, and, and iwi having a role in decision-making, I suppose, around some of these key... Uh, processes within their organisations. Um, I suppose uh, I started in the science challenge system. Uh, there were probably about three of us, uh, three Māori scientists uh, in our science challenge system when we started this idea of exploring Mātauranga Māori around natural hazards. And I, we've grown that into a team of, it's probably not that great, 12, 15, 20. But for us, that's a huge change. Uh, that's that's a, a, an order of magnitude change. <laughs> Uh, it's taken time, 
And, and I think that's what the, the, the science challenges will lose going forward, is that, that, that space where we can nurture that next generation of thinkers and the, the next generation to produce new knowledge that's going to probably truly represent New Zealand as well, uh, and then provide science directly to our communities. And I think, just one last point, I think that's one of the big challenges that we face uh, as a country going forward, is that we haven't excited the younger generations, the school kids, about science. Uh, and so I always get annoyed when I listen to the media talk about this idea that Mataranga Māori or Kaitiakitanga, these concepts are brought into the education system and then they're brought in, it's a sort of question on whether they should be brought in and replace science. And I don't see it as replacing science, it's adding another dimension. If we come back to Mason Jury's words, Mataranga Māori is not science, it's something different, and we're providing that opportunity for our kids to explore uh, that different knowledge system and then, and then see if we can excite them about bringing them into uh, science, applied science, environmental science, all these topics that we've been funded to explore. John. Well, look, we do actually have a rangatahi here. <laughs> so, uh, Tumai, have you been excited by science um, and the work that you've been doing? You know, do you think the National Science Challenges and the funding that's come with them and the projects has actually made a difference uh, for the community? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it definitely has. Um, and yeah, I guess my experience of science getting through high school and that, probably as a Māori, I'd say I was very disinterested in what, um, what was being offered. Um, and then as soon as I got out of school and um, started to yeah, connect more to um, my hapū and look at some of the environmental and the science work that they were doing, um, through it was just a lot more relevant to me. And then I went, man, I wish I actually did science in school. <laughs> and so now, um, now I guess um, what I hope to achieve is, um, yeah, for, for our hapū and, and our iwi, um, look at what other pathways um, they can give, hopefully, our future scientists a, um, that spark that they may not have received in, um, you know, elsewhere. Um, and then give them that push to be able to, um, you know, do the hard yards and um, learn both um, worldviews and both knowledge systems um, to the highest level and really excel in both worlds. Mm. So I'm hearing a new pathway for you to my... The pathway you're on, but perhaps do, do you see yourself as a, that more conventional, moving into that more conventional science? Um, well, I'm finding myself, um, yeah, doing a lot of it and, um, yeah, making decisions as well around some stuff, so, so potentially. Okay, we heard it here. Okay, um, Salah, you had another comment? No, I was just going to jump on yeah, to my saying, you know, about the um, whole science in school thing. <laughs> <laughs> just um, that's that's a, a really real thing, not just for Māori, but I think, you know, just kids in general. But I just want to, it was actually just me um, uh, showing off a bit, um, because I um, had the privilege of bringing a master's Māori um, master's student into one of one of my projects um, and put him, put him, put him, funded him to do his minds at... Um, 
Otago University, so Masters of Indigenous Studies. Um, and he has gone on, <laughs> he has gone on to, so he um, graduated that with honours and um, took the next year to complete his teaching uh, kura kaupapa um, papers and he is now um, the, um, uh, the kayako in charge of building the first, designing the first climate change curriculum for all of the uh, kura in, in the um, uh, uh, Ngāti Porairunanga Rohe. So that's, you know, that is a real um, a testament to if you can invest um, some money in building local capability, what can be done. So he's taking that, his knowledge back into that community and not only practising as a community researcher himself on some climate change mahi that we're doing together, but he's also in his, with his other portai teacher, um, kayako at, at the kura and building their first programme and receiving funding to do that. It's just, that's amazing. So, so that sounds like our future, doesn't it? That um, the, our two knowledge systems that are of our country um, can work really well together and in fact uh, help, help solve some of the issues that we're all facing, all our communities are facing, but that each community needs to find its own way within its own um, specific values and thinking and experiencing. And it, and it feels like um, some really good results have been coming out of the National Science Challenges. And that's a, real, that's a real testament, because I do recall being on a panel right at the start of the National Ch Science Challenges at, at a conference with um, Māori panels such as this, and people were a little bit sceptical, to be perfectly honest. They were hesitant. They didn't know whether this was going to be an opportunity or just more of the same. But what I'm hearing tonight is that actually it's proved to be a huge opportunity um, and definite skills, capabilities and knowledge have been have been built um, in the science realm but also in the mātauranga science realm. So kia ora everybody. Well look, we've got a little bit of time now um, to, to have some questions um, from the audience and because this has been recorded we'll, we'll ask you to speak into the microphone. So um, as you've heard our panel are very knowledgeable, skilled, quick on their quick on thinking on their feet or sitting as it the case may be tonight. So do we have some questions from the audience? So we do have one question so far. Thank you. Would you like to just tell us your name and then ask your question? It's Barry Peak. I'm a retired uh, professor of chemistry from the University of Otago. Um, talking about the future of the challenges, were any of the panel aware of what the policies of the major political parties are? Well, that, that's a, a question that's not quite um, in the kaitiaki tanga realm, but we can answer those questions. Jonathan. I would say as a chemist, you'd try and separate politics and science very much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, science is probably more about a longer term view of making fundamental change. We tend to ignore scientific policy uh, unless it's related to funding and... Uh, yeah, there's, I suppose we all shook our heads. We have no idea what the future is. There's been no indication from any government on, on, on what they are interested in solving uh, or what they're interested in drawing upon science to solve. Uh, at the moment, I think some of the key drivers are around uh, climate change, impacts of climate change, 
uh, and also you know, some niche areas probably around high school economies, computing, those sort of things as well. So that's my understanding. Um, do I have anything to add? I don't think so. I think, yeah, like you say, I think um, scientists become involved or interested in politics when their funding is on the line. Um, and uh, in the context of a review, uh, I think all we know is that all bets are held until we get through the next election. Um, and, but we do know that, and I, I, we don't, we do know to expect um, a lot of the National Science Challenge uh, funding to be rerouted through a mechanism like the National uh, Research Priorities type platforms. So um, what they look like is still in the pipeline, largely being put together by a bunch of, uh, you know, thought leaders, uh, uh, subject experts, and and whatnot, but politics typically interferes with best laid plans. I was just going to say that um, I think uh, the science community in New Zealand really punches above its weight internationally. I mean, we're world leaders in a number of, of well, leading, uh, leading a lot of disciplines around the world. We make a huge contribution for a very small investment in New Zealand in our science system. I think uh, our science system is probably, this is like my own personal opinion, Came a little bit stagnant over the few year, last last few decades with the way it's been structured, and, and the Te Arapairangi document is probably a good time to think about how we uh, package up and, and 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 present science to to the country. I mean, we've sort of separated off and becoming those experts, those international leaders in our science disciplines, and forgot a little bit about bringing the community and bringing the nation along with us as well. Uh, and we do have another. Comment or question, Barry? We hear a lot about uh, AI and the rapid advances, and I wonder how the panel would feel at their challenges. Has AI got any place in Matarangi Māori? How are they going to interact? Um, well, I actually think you're talking about the National Science Challenge, which is Science for Technological Innovation, and absolutely. So, although, um, and kaitiakitanga is actually a huge issue. Um, from a data perspective and so there's a whole uh, body of research that's been going on for a, a number of years around uh, Māori data sovereignty and Indigenous data sovereignty. How do we act as kaitiaki of the data that has been generated by many of the good people here and whisking around the world? How do we act as kaitiaki? How do we maintain a relationship to the mātaraka that is there, or the mātaranga Māori that is there, what would that look like? So there are a number of people that are actually thinking um, in this realm, it's actually at an international and a global level, what are the tools that we might be able to use? So AI is absolutely in everybody's thinking, and the algorithms that underlie AI, and so there have been quite a lot of work done in ethical algorithms, um, at the moment, I guess it's a bit of watch this space because there's a whole issues around uh, copyright law. So the legal people are having quite a lot of fun at the moment as to how some of these um, companies have uh, uh, hoovered up vast amounts of um, 
not even open access data, just copyrighted data, and then being able to regenerate. So I, I, I guess it has a huge issue for Māori and indeed all Indigenous people in terms of kaitiakitanga, in terms of how do we behave, how do we act as good guardians of the knowledge, the information that has been derived um, from Māori people, places, um, artefacts, songs, stories, uh, genetics, genomes. How do we act as good kaitiaki and what are the tools? So that's absolutely in people's thinking. So thank you for that question. Do we have any other comments or questions? Kia ora. Um, I was wondering if the panellists uh, could provide some more specific examples on the projects that they worked on, since they made a lot of very general statements. Okay, well what, do we have a couple of, well you've heard from Tumai, so Tumai's project is, is very, very spe specific around uh, the wetlands and tuna, but do we have any other specific comments? Uh, yeah, kia ora. Um, yeah, I guess it's like that, that project um, with the images there um, of the, the wetlands restoration and then the follow-on um, housing project that will go on with it. Um, I guess I started the, the first kind of project that I worked on was through my PhD um, and that was working with Ngāti Whātuorake up in Tāmaki in Auckland. Um, so looking at a papakainga that they developed, a housing development, and seeing um, what those lived experiences were, were like and how it was um, kind of functioning to learn lessons to build um, kind of the next kainga um, that, that was coming on after that. Um, yeah, and then, and then I've had the Rangatahi housing um, project as well, so we kind of travelled um, up to the far north, back, back home for me, um, up in Kaikoe, um, and then we travelled to Auckland and then and down here as well, doing wānanga with Rangatahi to, to talk about housing and, and to vision um, kāinga um, aspirations for the future. Um, yeah, those are a couple of quick examples anyway. Okay, thank you. Does anybody else have a specific example of a project? So when my kids ask me what I do for a job, I tell them I herd cats. So I'm not actually um, involved in research in the challenge, but I'd rather coordinate research in the challenge, but could talk about many projects um, in sustainable seas, but um, to touch on one that's become a bit of a cornerstone, I guess, in, um, in the work that we're doing, which is based in Ohiwa Harbour, in the Bay of Plenty, which is um, an iwi-led piece of research where they have, off their own back, partnered with Council and with DOC and others to manage sea stars, which have become, they're native, but they've become a real problem and overpopulation in the harbour, um, destroying mussel beds and, um, you know, just creating havoc in terms of the, the uh, ecosystem. So um, they've been working um, really hard over a number of years to try and manage that sea star population and bring Ohiwa Harbour back into health, into a form of health. Um, but they're taking a really interesting and innovative approach to that, so applying kaitiakitanga alongside science to be able to do that, but also t um, taking a blue economy approach, so looking at what properties those sea stars might have in the interest of not being wasteful, um, what properties those sea stars might have that they could commercialise and then reinvest that money back 
akin to the management of the harbour. So that's just one project that I could talk about. Slide. Yeah, I think a specific uh, example, a really good example actually, from um, our land and water is about um, enacting te mana o te wai. So for those of us that don't uh, live and breathe fresh water, <laughs> um, um, te mana o te wai is, um, fresh, is, is the uh, freshwater policy reform. Um, and essentially um, under, under um, this policy, the first... Um, right of the water belongs to the water and um, the, thereafter the people that speak on behalf of the water because the water cannot speak for itself is mana whenua, are the mana whenua, um, which um, up until very recently has been um, really good talk but not a lot of good action um, from central policy down for a whole number of reasons and actually a lot of that is actually just about capacity right um, um those of us those people on the ground that actually know how to enact though um and have that relationship with their with their our so um a project in our land and water enacting te mana o te wai so um tina Puro, who's the project lead um she's a planner by but we don't hold that against her <laughs> um, she um has a team of community and university um, based researchers who are going out into um, pilot areas rohe and working with mana whenua to actually um, upskill them in, in a couple of ways to do that reconnection to to their to the awa, um, actually their whole landscape, um, and then uh, to diagnose to wānanga, to hui, and understand what the barriers are for mana whenua in terms of being able to hold that role, enact that role from a, um, from a, a, a regional council, what's the word? What, from a regional council, you know, sort of, they're the, they're the regional authority, what's that relationship look like and what are the barriers for um, those um, kaitiaki uh, to actually be able to understand the process, the regional policy process, um, and then enact their role as kaitiaki within that framework. So she has gone along with her team, developed up a lot of um, tools to help upskill uh, mana whenua, but also to upskill uh, regional council people and policy um, to actually understand how, how mana whenua view and um, want to have maintain that relationship with their awa. So that's a really good tangible example, I think, of some of the stuff that we do. Okay, are there, are there any more questions? Yes, one more question. I think we've got time for one more question. Uh, kia ora. Uh, my name is Sophie. Um, firstly, I would just like to mihi and thank and acknowledge the speakers tonight. Um, I really enjoyed listening to you guys. Um, just for a bit of background, I study here at Otipoti, um and I do marine science and ecology. Um, I'm about to graduate. Um, and in my future mahi, I would really like to work to encompass Mātauranga Māori, um, but I am Pākehā as well. So I was just wondering what role do you believe Pākehā have in um, enabling kaitiaki tanga? Kia ora, thank you.
Who would like to take that question? Thanks, John. <laughs> and 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 then we'll, and then Linda will give you the last thought as well. Um, I really don't have an answer. Uh, I think you're in an enviable position where you are probably going to go forward. You're going to be able to explore Western science from a Pakeha point of view, and when you probably go into your PhD, your Mataranga Māori, uh, your Mataranga Iwi will be treated uh, equitably alongside that Western science and you'll be able to draw upon both knowledge systems to, to come up with a new solution uh, when you finally do your PhD. Uh, I think there's... Uh... <laughs> Great encouragement, Sophie. Great encouragement. Um, I grew up in a very different system. Um, you can tell by my grey hair. Uh, that uh, we did things Māori on the marae and that was it. And then I grew up in a very staunch Western science Pākehā system that uh, we just had to get through. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, well, luckily enough, we were in these positions in the science challenges where we were allowed to um, explore that mātauranga more and bring that together. I suppose I've had that question last week, actually, on what can Pākehā do? And uh, the answer is always just... Just be respectful, be a good ally to uh, encouraging and working alongside Māori and, and, and yeah, someone just uh, last, last week answered it by saying just don't be a dick. Yeah, I would just say um, that this is a thing that we um, get a lot with really uh, biophysical um, and um, technical uh, research. Um, and in my experience, it's just about um, finding research topics, research programs, you know, um, that align to Māori priorities. And um, if you are um, able to, um, you know, attend things in the community that help to form relationships with mana whenua, just become complicit and educate yourself on things that matter to Māori, um, then actually I think opportunities start flowing because there are always opportunities for complementarity in so many um, areas of work that, um, you know, science that we do. We're not necessarily always working in the same programs, um, but we're definitely um, in our land and water working to the same end. So you might not necessarily be rubbing arms, but um, there is definitely an alignment to a goal. So for our land and water, that is the revitalisation of te taiao. Some of that looks like biophysical, really ultra-geeky work, but actually some of it is more based in values and um, kaupapa and mātauranga Māori. Um, um, and they don't necessarily sit in the same programme. Sometimes they do, um, for other reasons. <laughs> but... Um, it's about alignment of, of outcomes and goals and values. I mean, I guess finally, um, and you're probably aware, having studied here in marine science, the worst of the, the work of the East Otago Taiapuri um, is a really good example of, of exactly what you're talking about. Um, and so I suppose my answer would be that um, we all have our own kitty of tools to bring to the table um, and they all have value and... Um, John mentioned, you know, bring, being respectful and valuing the, the kitty of tools that others bring to the table, and that um, collectively you get so much more out of that. So, would have liked to have known you earlier in the life of sustainable yeah. seas. <laughs>
Okay, and look, that, that's a great way um, to end. So thank you for that, that uh, question. And I guess one of the, the things that we've been thinking about generally in the National Science Challenges is, is, is that uh, idea of rangatiratanga and mana that Māori will bring and do bring. Um, and as you said at the start, Linda, it's okay to do your own thing. And so sometimes we just got to do our own thing. Um, and, and it's a bit like our braided rivers that we have here in the south. You know, there's, there's lots of braids, but they're all going in the same direction. And sometimes those braids are, are deep and long and go all the way from Lake Pukaki, for example, which is at the bottom of Aoraki, and all the way down to, uh, to just south of um, Oamaru. And, but then there are all these little tributaries along the side. Um, and sometimes that the main part of that river um, touches those tributaries and sometimes it doesn't. And so I guess that's a great analogy for how we can um, work together based on our natural environment. That sometimes we've just got to let things alone and let them be and get on with our own stuff and just respect that other people want to do that too. But at other times it's absolutely essential that we work together. Um, and that our tributaries need to form a bigger river, particularly on some of those big, big issues. So thank you for that last question. And to all of you, thank you for coming out in the middle of the winter. It's Matariki almost. Next, next week we get a, a lovely um, um, annual holiday. Um, and we should feel privileged that that is based on um, our, our Māori knowledge and that we are a country that acknowledges that at a national level. We all celebrate that, um, and it's a time for remembering the past, but also for looking back, uh, for looking forward to the future. So um, thank you to you all, and I'd like us all to thank our panel for, for being here and sharing their wisdom with us this evening.